0: Good morning, everybody. Almost the afternoon, but good morning. Well, the last month, uh, we've had a lot of missionaries come out and talk to us. We've seen a lot of videos. Um, If you haven't seen those or if you want to know more, you can go to mitchabarian.com and watch the services over again. Um, You can also uh, pick up one of these sheets of paper, which have been out in the lobby there. Uh, But if you haven't grabbed one yet, I challenge you to grab one. And connect with our missionaries Uh, We have their information We have a QR code here on the left Which gives also some more information Their websites You can learn more about them And you can connect with them via that way But I would just pray that you guys would Take the time to get to know our missionaries Um, It can be a very lonely world Um, They're out there on the front lines And they need our prayer Uh, They they love to know that we're out there And they love to pray for us and, And just talk with us Um, Our last video is going to be Travis and Nikki Ray. And uh, just thank you guys for this month.
1: Hey, Mitchell Berean. We just wanted to check in and let you guys know that we made it back to Papua New Guinea. And we did a 14-day quarantine in the Highlands at a place called Sebega. After that, we flew on to Hoskins, where we're at now. And um, we've just been plugging into ministry. Um, Part of that is we had... A few days that we were in a guest house until we could get our house completely set up. We had a lot of mold to um, clean off of things stored for uh, about uh, 16 months. And then we also had termites that got into our cupboards. So we had a kitchen that was tore apart and um, yeah, that was fun for a while. But um, we're doing good and um, Travis will just fill you in a little bit on what we're doing with our ministry at this moment
2: yeah it's been busy since we've gotten back here we had that two week um, sit around really and uh, our area is experiencing COVID um, a bit heavier so right away they asked us to come out to uh, to Hoskins, and we had had some things going on so we've been engaged from the very beginning, we got back dealing with, with COVID and just, um, they would say new Pella passing is just the, the new rules of the country dealing with that, uh, with that going on. And then, um, uh, directly we got into, uh, a location called Moke and got to go visit, um, two of our churches. And, um, from there, we've been, um, uh, pretty active and engaged. We got two families that are out on our center at this time that are working to allocate. They're actually preparing to move into, a bush location to start a church plant so um, that's been uh, very busy uh, working with them we're just now starting to come into the part where we're developing house plans um, they're going to be picking out which location where exactly that they're going to go and they will be going in bush with them um, trying to find a place and work with people to uh, sign agreements to build houses and just begin that process so um, it's been super fun being back we're, we're thrilled to be back and it's been a blessing to be uh, be back and engaged with our team so it's been been a good time
1: thanks guys for praying for us we appreciate Thank you, you.
3: Bye-bye. all right well love our missionaries um i think i've told you guys i grew up <clears throat> a missionary kid for a while so um i know how important it is that we stay connected to them and boy, i encourage you to grab one of those sheets if you haven't yet and check uh, check out their social media or whatever and, and just stay connected to them. Send them a note every once in a while. Let them know you're praying for them. It really means a lot to them, and it'll benefit you too. There's a blessing that comes when we're connected to God's work, and so uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Thankful for a month where we could focus on missionaries and our missionaries and on missions in general. We've been, uh, this series uh, this month, of called The Missional Church, and how we're focused in on uh, living on mission. We have a mission statement here that uh, guides us and directs us. And so we want to uh, live with a, a focus on that, a realization. Hey, one other thing that I wanted to note we're going to be doing this summer is uh, in light of our focus on discipleship, which I'll talk about in a minute, just that overview that we've been focusing on this year, we're going to provide some opportunities for you to learn and grow throughout the summer uh, in a little deeper way. And so this summer, each Sunday, during the 9.30 to 10.30 hour, we're going to have different uh, uh, men in our church teach an hour of, uh, on a particular topic related to um, our faith. And so we'll have a chance to, uh, again, go a little deeper on some of those things. And so I'd encourage you, we got some great um, teachers here, and uh, and so I want you to get in on that. So consider that. Every week there'll be somebody different and a different topic, but it's going to be a good summer. One of our elders, uh, Dan Howard, put that together and recruited uh, some guys to do that. And so make sure you uh, put that on uh, as, as something you want to be a part of. It will benefit you. We're looking at how do we continue continue to grow um, as disciples and take those next steps. This weekend, though, uh, our final message in the series, The Missional Church, we want to focus on what we, uh, that together we can make a difference, we can make an impact, and uh, I think it's appropriate, given this weekend being Memorial Day weekend, uh, some of what I want to talk today has to do with uh, knowing where we've come from, and uh, we certainly need to, to do that as well as citizens of this country. You know, um, like many of you, I'm, I'm very patriotic. Uh, uh, as a pastor, I make some people nervous how patriotic I am, but I'm very patriotic. I love my country. I'm proud of it. I love the history of our country and what we were founded on. And so uh, probably uh, adds to it that my, uh, both my grandfathers served in the military during World War II they're veterans, and my father served during the Vietnam War. Um, and so my father being a soldier and a preacher, um, uh, I just have a lot of pride in that, and I'm connected. My faith and, and my uh, my love of country are connected, really. And I really recognize that this country was founded by folks who had a deep faith in Jesus. There's no question of that. Uh, some people try to rewrite that and maybe paint it a different way. But the truth is, those pilgrims that came here initially really were starting a church and uh and so we have that built into our dna as a country and it's important that we remember that and recognize it and that we uh we recognize what we have here the gift we've been given because this country was founded kind of as a, an experiment kind of as something very different as a a place where freedom would reign where freedom of religion and freedom to pursue god was really the the intention and it really was unheard of uh, on the face of the earth, right? Um, kings and, uh, and governments still reigned and ruled over people, but the idea that individuals would have freedom was different, and it's unique, and it's fragile. And so uh, both what God wants to give us in terms of freedom from sin and death, the freedom to follow him, uh, we also have been given as a gift with uh, citizenship in this country. And so um, while none of my Family gave the ultimate sacrifice, uh, which is obviously what we look at on Memorial Day: is those who gave their lives to pay for and to ensure that our freedoms continued. The truth is that freedom isn't free. You know, you've heard that it does cost. It requires great sacrifice. And so, on this Memorial Day weekend, 2021, some quotes uh, that I think reflect the importance of what we need to remember: Douglas MacArthur said, however horrible the incidents of war may be, the soldier who is called upon to offer and to give his life for his country is the noblest development of mankind. President uh, Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Patrick Henry said those famous words, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. William Allen White, liberty is the only thing you cannot have unless you are willing to give it to others. And then an unknown source wrote these words, a veteran is someone who at one point in his life wrote a blank check made payable to the United States of America for an amount up to and including my life. And so we must, it's essential that we pause and remember those who sacrificed it all so that we could enjoy freedom and that we use that freedom correctly. And so would you join me just to take a moment of silence to reflect on and remember and honor those who have given that sacrifice for us. God we are thankful for the those who have sacrificed uh, so that we could enjoy living in a country where we have such freedom. We can gather like this and worship as we as we see fit as we as our conviction calls us to. God, we thank you for that um, we don 't take it lightly and we understand that it is a fragile thing and it 's something we must uh, at times defend and stand up for and so Father. We thank you for those who have sacrificed for us. And uh, Father, we, um, uh, we commit to continue to, uh, um, to take up that mantle and to pass on that legacy and to ensure that uh, our children and our grandchildren and their children can have that same freedom to worship you and to see your work flourish as it has in this country. And so we thank you for that, Father. And we do acknowledge um, on this day... And this weekend, those who gave it all. Uh, Father, thank you for blessing us uh, above and beyond anything we deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close this month with our focus on the missional church, uh, I think it's important that we take this opportunity to look at, uh, at the present opportunity we have in light of the future implications. See, what we choose to do today is going to have an impact into the future. We all know that, we talk about it, uh, we acknowledge it at some point, but the truth is that the way you're living your life right now, the way you're influencing the people around you, the choices you make are going to leave a legacy, and the legacy will be most felt by those close to you, but the truth is you'll impact people you don't even know about, people you're not even aware, they're watching you, or they're going to uh, they're going to um, uh, be impacted by the implications of what you do today. Our discipleship class, as we've talked about, as I mentioned earlier, we've been focused on discipleship this year, and we have a book called the Four Chair Discipleship book by Dan Spader, and he provides a vision for discipleship, and it involves four chairs. And it's interesting, I joke that none of them are lazy boys, okay? Uh, there are chairs that are comfortable, but we're meant to move. Uh, they represent seasons of growth and development, right? And so the first chair is a come and see. It represents a call of Jesus to come and see. He invited people to come and see who he was and and to uh, examine the claims that he was making. And so that first chair, which we were all in at some point, is that place of coming to see what Jesus is about. You know, my parents got me to church, right? They taught me and they, they talked about Jesus. So I had that opportunity very young to explore the claims of Jesus and to examine who he was, right, as a child. And so the truth is we were all in that place at some point and we were invited by someone in some way to come and see and so that's chair one. And then at some point, many of us move to chair two and that is that moving from the place of examining the claims of Jesus to becoming convinced and convicted that he is the son of God and that his death on the cross was enough to pay for my sin. And so uh, the moment I recognized that as a young man, a young boy, I made that decision to put my faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, right? And so I put my faith in him, my trust in him. The Bible says that it is by faith and faith alone that we can access the forgiveness of God. And so the, the payment that Jesus made when he died on the cross was applied to my sin. And, and I became a follower, right? And so that's what it means to move into chair two is to become a follower. And as a follower, I began to grow. I began to uh, read the Bible and and learn about the Bible and study the teachings of Jesus, right, and grow in that. And my mind was transformed and changed to believe that what is true is what God says is true, what's found in the scriptures. And so I adjusted my life uh, to match up, or I I worked to adjust my life uh, to match up with what God wanted from me and what God asked me to do. And then my knowledge of the Bible grew and the knowledge of the history of the world and the human race as God presents it in the scriptures. And that's what happens in chair two. It's a time of growth and soaking in and, and, uh, and being changed and transformed. And then there became a point where I uh, stopped just thinking about me and my, uh, my need, right, to soak in. I didn't, didn't stop growing, didn't stop learning, but I shifted a little bit to recognize that there were needs around me. And that there were things that maybe God would call me to do about those needs. And that's what it means to move into chair three. See, chair three is the chair where I begin to work and serve. Um, It's reflected by the call of Jesus to, Jesus said to Peter, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so Peter answered that call. Jesus taught him to fish for men, to to work at the work of God. And so uh, we all are to reach that point as followers of Jesus, where we answer that call, where we move into that chair. We begin to work at the work of God. And that typically has started off where we begin to maybe volunteer in church. My dad was a pastor, so at some point I started moving chairs and setting up tables for those uh, those fellowship meals that happened after church or whatever was needed, right? I was just around, I started to work. And uh, and that's, that's usually how it happens. I start seeing there's a need and I pitch in. And so we begin to work and then we also grow in that. We begin to get trained of what it means to be a servant. And not just uh, do things for my benefit, but do things uh, so that it can benefit others. And really our Savior Jesus coming to serve us uh, is our model in that. And so we grow to learn to serve. At that same, in that same chair, we learn to begin to care about where others are at. I had friends as a young boy that weren't uh, Christians. They didn't know Jesus. And I invited them to come and see. And I, I wanted them to experience that. Uh, what I had experienced in, in uh, discovering forgiveness right and grace. And so um, that's chair three. I begin to work and, and be trained as a servant to serve. And then I'm, I'm reaching out to others. And I'm starting to invite them and tell them about Jesus. And can even lead them <clears throat> to put their trust in him. And ultimately... The, call, uh, the fourth chair represents that call to move into a chair where I become a spiritual parent. And I, become, I, I begin to produce fruit, as we're going to read later today, fruit that will last. And so I, be, I begin to acquire that ability and that maturity where I can help someone else become a follower of Jesus, right? And I can, I can lead them to faith in Christ and I can help them grow and I can disciple them uh, and train them to serve and, and I can help them move through those, that progression of growth and development so I become a spiritual parent, a disciple maker. And so we were talking about this. We have a, we have a core class on this uh, here at Mitchell Brand at the 9.30 to 10.30 hour. And with the last class I was teaching, we were talking about that and it came up, this idea, well, what would it look like <clears throat> if... If we were to really embrace this, and we were really to, as a church, really embrace this idea and kind of all get behind it, what would what would it look like? And the idea came up of thinking about, perhaps thinking about ourselves a little bit like the way we uh, see a mission organization. You know, Travis and Nikki work for, uh, or serve with uh, Ethnos 360. It's a mission organization. It used to be called New Tribes, and the goal was to reach new tribes with the gospel, people that had never heard, unreached people. And so uh, they, they have many, many missionaries around the world, different outposts. I'm not sure how many missionaries they have, but they have a lot, and they're a large mission organization. And so, but if you were to go over to visit Travis and Nikki, and, and uh, I have some uh, brother and sister-in-law who served over there as well in that same area, and so I know a little bit about it, but they would, uh, you'd see outposts uh, where, they, where they serve, and you'd see people that are, uh, that are maintenance folks help take care of the facilities. You'd, you'd find teachers there um, that teach some of the children in their school, and you'd find administrative folks, right, that, that help keep things organized. You, you'd find all these different gifts and, and abilities and talents, right, but they're all missionaries, and they're all focused in on the mission of God there, and the mission that God's called Ethnos 360 to accomplish. Maybe it would help us if we thought about ourselves a little bit that way. The truth is, I don't know how many missionaries Ethnos 360 has, but and i bet i bet we're close <laughs> maybe even a few more with the folks that come to this church and what could be accomplished if we saw ourselves in that way that each one of us are called by god just like those missionaries are you're called by god to become a missionary where you live where you work where you where you live where you play right and as a church we can join together around the mission that god's called us to and what could be accomplished if we were to see ourselves that way, if we were to engage and grab onto the mission that God's called us to, I recognize that um, as still a fairly new pastor here, coming up on two years this summer, but I still feel pretty new. But I think about what is it that God wants this church to accomplish, the mission that's been handed to us, right? With the legacy we've been given, what is it that we, we're supposed to do over the next 15, 20 years? What are the changes that we should seek to bring about in our community, in this region? What's the next phase of mission for us as a church? You know, the history of the Berean Fellowship was started in North Platte, Nebraska, by a pastor by the name of Dr. Ivan Olson. And Dr. Olson went to school out in Colorado um, at what was then known as the Denver Bible Institute. And, you know, there was a Bible Institute movement around the country. Many of them popped up, and uh, they were focused in on training young people to know the Scriptures, to take the Scriptures seriously as the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God in their whole uh, and completeness, to defend them, to know them, to live by them, and to preach the gospel found in them to others, and to make disciples. And so those Bible Institutes were, were really all over the country. In fact, my dad went to a Bible Institute up in Montana, and I went to what was previously known as a Bible Institute in Omaha, Nebraska. And so I understand this movement and the power in it and, and uh, trained so many believers to be, uh, to be leaders, to be missionaries, wherever they were called. And Dr. Olson ended up in North Platte as a result of the call of God to serve in a church there. And, and a movement began. And there was such a great response to his ministry that it began to spread to other towns. And pretty soon other people wanted the same kind of church that he was pastoring. And so they, they chose a name, the Berean Fellowship. And it became a denomination, if you will, a group of churches. Now uh, 50-some churches uh, all over the country and around the world that are dedicated to the same mission, called to the same purpose. And so, uh, and so this was the nature of God's work there, that people wanted to be a part of it. This church, Mitchell Berean was founded or begun in the home of Harry and Virginia Wilson back in 1959. A result of some pastors traveling the country praying about new churches. And a group of people felt that same call in Mitchell. They joined together and began this church. And, uh, and, and from its founding, I've been told, the mission was a mission of reaching your neighbor. Of seeing new people come to Christ. And I can't tell you how important it is to me and how valuable to be able to serve in a church that has that kind of legacy. And to look and to think about how whatever I can do, which is not a lot, okay? Pastor can do a little, not a lot, but I, I can do whatever I can to ensure that that mission continues. That we don't lose sight of that. And we don't drop that legacy, but that we pass it on to the next generation. We enjoy the blessings passed down to us by past generations. In order to faithfully pass on this legacy, we must ensure that we pass on the blessings that have been given to us. God will bless future generations through our faithfulness to the mission that he's called us to. The legacy we pass on will be based on our willingness to obediently work to continue the mission that God has handed to us and that those who came before us worked at, they sacrificially worked at to ensure that we could enjoy an amazing church, an amazing fellowship. See, we can pass on a generational blessing. You maybe have heard of generational curses. (laughs) We've all had our struggles with those, those traits, characteristics, whatever that passed on to us by our families, and they, they can be frustrating and difficult to deal with. But the truth is, we can also pass on a spiritual blessing, a generational blessing, In Exodus chapter 20, as Moses is giving the law to the nation of Israel, in verses 5 and 6, what comes with it is a warning. And this comes from God speaking through Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, you must not bow down to them or worship them. And of course, speaking of the idols of the surrounding peoples as they would worship or be tempted to worship those other false gods. And so God says, you must not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents on their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. God's saying, listen, guys, I need you. You're my people, (laughs) I started you, I created you, I called you out. I need you to stay loyal and true to me. Don't get distracted. Don't move away to the worship of other things. And he said, listen, yes, I'll hold you accountable. If you, if you leave me and move away from me, then I'm gonna hold your children, their children, their children accountable. But if you choose to be obedient to me, you stay loyal to me, you continue to follow me, I'll bless a thousand generations of your descendants. God goes, listen, uh, don't veer off. Don't get distracted. Don't fall into the temptation to worship other things. No, we may not have other gods that we're tempted to worship, but we have other things that we're drawn to, that we're tempted to be pulled into, that we're tempted to be drawn away from God by. Uh, church, uh, Church leaders around the country acknowledged uh, after uh, 2020, kind of the smoke cleared a little bit, or even as we were uh, maybe coming out of that a little bit, I know we still are, but acknowledged that it revealed something about the church in America. And, and listen, this is across the board, leaders everywhere, acknowledged that what 2020 did was reveal that maybe we have a, le- a weak ecclesiology in the American church, meaning a weak commitment to the gathering of believers. You know, when, uh, when everything first started, we certainly didn't know what was going on and we made some adjustments and we weren't sure what we'd have to do. But as, as it progressed, what we discovered was, and even as things have lifted, I really aren't through this yet, that, that there is a weak commitment to the gathering of believers. That there's been an acceptance of staying separate and isolated, right? Of worshiping by watching online Again, to those of you that have to watch online, you're homebound, I'm not picking on you. Okay, and I know for some of us, there was a legitimate reason and there are legitimate reasons to do that. I feel like I gotta give that qualifier. But I'm saying as a, as a rule for us, there's gotta be a commitment to the gathering of believers. You know, at first we acknowledged, hey, the church isn't a building. And that's true. We've said that and it's absolutely true. I've said it in my life. It's a very true statement. But the word for church in the New Testament, the Greek word is ekklesia. And it means the gathering, <laughs> So while the church is in a building, it is us when we get together, and it's essential that we have a commitment to that. Church around the world, in other generations, and other eras, has fought to continue to build a to meet together. Right? They've overcome persecution. They've met in face of life, uh, their lives being threatened. Right? They said, well, "No, we're going to keep meeting together, even if our government says we can't." Well, listen, uh, we've got to have and recognize that same commitment's essential to us carrying on the mission, the legacy that's been handed to us. What we do is going to affect those around us, the ones watching us. Not what we say, but what we do. You know that. You've heard that, right? Your children will watch what you do, not what you say. And so we've got to have that commitment. We've got to reassert ourselves to that commitment. The legacy of a commitment to this fellowship is why we're here. Because there were, there were those who, who said, listen, I'm going to put Mitchell Berean, this, this dream, this mission, this idea of a church in this region. I'm going to put that at the front of my life. I'm going to make it a major commitment. And I'm going to sacrifice to it. and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part of it. And that's what gives a church its strength. As we pass on that generational blessing to the generations coming up, we also need to model for them the power of serving God. You know, I'm unashamedly Uh, 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 a huge supporter, and fierce defender of the church and of this church. And I know this church matters and it will continue to matter. My prayer is it continues to matter for many, many decades and generations to come. But it's going to require something of us that we understand what it takes to move a mission forward. It is not easy. And one of the reasons we need to ensure this church continues is because what we offer to our future generations through the church is the opportunity to serve and to bless others. And can I tell you, that opportunity, that piece of character, that part that needs to be embedded in our culture is essential to us as a culture being healthy. One of the problems in our culture is we become more self-serving and self-seeking. Get for me, get for myself, right? You've seen that. You know what I'm talking about. That's one of the problems we have is that we were founded by folks who are willing to sacrifice for others. We've got to continue to do that. As generations move on, it's easy to take advantage and take for granted what we have. And yet we can't allow ourselves to do that. We've We've got to continue to fight forward to pass on that blessing. The opportunity to serve and bless others is found in the church. And as I said earlier, John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said these words. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Jesus said, here's my expectation of you. (laughs) You're to go move forward and produce fruit that lasts. This church has been here, right, over decades now because of those sacrifices by others, because others were willing to say, we're going to be a part of producing lasting fruit. And lasting fruit comes from a commitment to follow Jesus and to remain in him and to continue to trust in him and to live out a relationship with him. I love the preceding verse, verse 15. Jesus uh, lays out the groundwork for this. He says, listen, to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you what? Everything the Father told me. Jesus goes, listen, guys, you're not just slaves working at this. You're not just going, getting food in town when I need you to. You're not just, you know, uh, you know herding the people when I need you to, right? Passing out food uh, as I, you know, create it from a couple of loaves and fishes. No, you're now uh, friends. You're partners with me. Come on in, step in and be a part of this ministry. You get to own this. God has allowed us in on the inside. And listen, everything that comes with that. But it requires a great deal of responsibility that we recognize what it is that God has called us to. First Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well, what? To serve one another. The gift you've been given by God is a gift to serve the rest of this body. And we need to know what the gift is and we need to utilize it and use it and recognize the sacred trust we've been given with it. In a mission organization, there, there isn't any fluff, right? Everybody's there pulling their weight and working at the mission. And guys, we need that kind of commitment here. Um, we need that commitment that we understand the importance of that and the gift that it is if you begin to learn to bless others and to serve them. Just this week, I read a new book by a leadership guy and it reminded me of something very powerful. He said, listen, achievement is important talking about success in life and leadership and wanting to move forward. And he goes, achievement's really important. And listen, I'll agree it is. Jesus called us with a great commission. He said, go and reach the world. It's not a small task. It's not one we can sit on the bench, sit on the sidelines and it'll just happen. It's gonna take a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of investment. So Jesus has called us to achievement. And he says, listen, uh, and this guy goes, listen, achievement's important, but here's the truth of it. True fulfillment in life does not just come from achievement in and of itself. Gaining more accolades, more degrees, more money, more land, whatever. right? Whatever your achievement might be, whatever the thing you're chasing. Achievement alone does not lead to fulfillment. Here's what he said, and I think this is powerful because it's re- reflected of the word of God. Achievement, what really is, brings fulfillment in life is achievement that grows out of sacrificial service. Now listen, if the pagan world can recognize that, <laughs> We, who have a leader, who has displayed that for us. Sacrificial service. So Jesus came into the world. He let go of heaven. He didn't consider it something to be held on to, but he gave up of himself to take on a human body, to live among us, and ultimately to go to the cross. Sacrificing for us, serving us. It stands to reason that for us, as his creation, to find real fulfillment in life is not just to achieve more, but it's to learn to sacrificially serve others as we work to achieve more. There is no greater place to learn that than in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus led his apostles to do this and they in turn changed the world. And you and I are beneficiaries of that. We stand on their shoulders. That's the legacy that's been handed to us. And so we have to learn that same thing. And I know you get a lot of advice and a lot of wisdom thrown your way. I would ask you just in this moment to consider this piece of wisdom and advice coming from God's word. That if you're going to find fulfillment in life, if you're really going to experience what it means to be fully human, which God wants for you, then put aside just achievement for the sake of it, to get yourself ahead. But consider what it would look like to sacrificially serve others as you move forward. See, that kind of attitude and approach to life can change everything. Ernest Gordon's true account of life in World War II Japanese uh, prison camp, called uh, entitled "Through the Valley of the Kwai," he writes down uh, recounts the story of this prison camp where um, soldiers from many different countries were imprisoned for their attempt to um, uh, to build the uh, infamous bridge over the River Kwai, and they were captured and imprisoned there. Um, soldiers from uh, America from Australians, Britons, um, and so they were there um, imprisoned in a tough situation. And the environment in the camp became very ugly. It became a dog-eat-dog, survival of the fittest, right? Who can survive? I've got to get for myself. And so this was the culture, the climate in the camp, because of the the pressure and the situation they were under. And so men were stealing from each other, even though they were... were, um, partners and, and uh, brothers in arms. <clears throat> they were looking out for themselves. And so men would sleep on their packs at night and they wake up only to find their pack had been stolen anyway. Men were stealing food from each other, clothes from each other, blankets from each other. I mean, this was the nature. It was, a, it was a brutal environment. In the midst of this, a man named Angus McGilvray died. And the story is that as a Scotsman, as a Scottish soldier, they were known as the Argyles, they had a they had a pact, they had a a system they took very seriously called a buddy system. And each of them had a buddy, it was known as a mucker. And they were literally responsible to ensure that their mucker made it through this ordeal. And so uh, Angus had uh, his mucker... uh, became ill and, and he was failing. And so Angus took so seriously his responsibility to ensure that he made it, he began to sacrifice for him. He gave him his blanket when his mucker's blanket was stolen. He began to give him food when his food wasn't enough, his rations weren't enough, forcing him to eat more so that he would recover. And in the midst of all this, Angus's mucker began to improve, but in the middle of it, Angus one day slumped over and and died suddenly. It was shocking to everyone. What happened? And so they started to dig into and uncover what Angus has done. Though he was a big man, strong man, he had sacrificed so much for his, uh, his mucker that he had himself become malnourished. And, uh, and so he passed away. Interestingly enough, though, his sacrifice, once the men heard of it, began to change the climate in the camp. Because the men recognized that Angus had reflected what the scriptures say in John 15, 12, that greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so Angus, giving the ultimate sacrifice, began to influence everybody. They, they began to be changed by uh, the awareness of what he had done. And so rather than fighting one another, a spirit of humanity returned to the camp and, a, and an, uh, the idea that, hey, we're in this together, we need to help each other rather than hurting each other. And so they began to develop and grow things, they discovered that they had a number of talents there in the prison camp. One of the guys was a violin maker, another an orchestra leader, another cabinet maker. So soon, putting their efforts together, the camp had an orchestra full of homemade instruments. They even started a church. They called it the Church Without Walls. And uh, it was so powerful that even the Japanese guards attended services. They became unified around the mission they developed a university, a hospital, a library system. Working together, the, the prison camp was transformed. You can see the power of even one person grasping a hold of this idea, this ideal of sacrificially serving someone else. I heard just this week of some of the ladies who sacrificed when this building was being built. They, uh, one lady said, I'm going to give up my coffee for a year. I think that's a greater sacrifice than I might be willing to make, all right? That's a big sacrifice. If you don't drink coffee, you have no idea. That's a big sacrifice. Okay, another lady said, hey, I'm going to give up the flowers that I buy for my front porch to, to make my house look beautiful in the spring. I'm going to give that up. I'm going to give the money. Listen, there were people that gave probably a lot more than them, but those, those kinds of sacrifices are the legacy that we've been given. That's why this church is here. That's what has propelled this work forward. What could happen? if we as a group resolved ourselves to that kind of commitment, that kind of sacrifice in the next 15, 20 years, what kind of changes could take place in our community? I assure you that through God and his direction and his power, the changes that he wants us to make can take place. We need to pass on this legacy of the ability to serve and to sacrifice. Guys, that is what will allow us It'll allow our children and allow others to capture the character that God wants us to have. The last thing that I think we uh, that will ensure that a legacy is passed on to those that come after us is to tell the stories of what God has done. In Psalm 78, verse 4, it says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. Psalm 145.4, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Listen, uh, I hope you as a parent, as a grandparent, that you're sharing with your children and grandchildren the story of how you came to know Jesus. Uh, the, The story of your walk with God and the story of your family's progression of faith. And even if it goes back generations, that you're sharing those stories of how those that came before you, how they've lived it out, lived this faith, walked by faith. See, your kids need to hear that. Your grandchildren need to hear it. And I hope they know it so well they can recount it. Oh, Grandpa, we've heard that before. Oh, Dad, you got to tell. Yeah, tell it again, right? We've got to grasp these things. We've got to know where we come from or we're not going to move forward where we need to go. Legacy is something that is, uh, is powerful. It's a powerful force. We have a legacy as, a, as Christians of a savior who came and laid down his life. And this changes and transforms all of us. But see, legacy is first caught and then it's taught. And sometimes we don't care about the legacy we have. We look down on it a little bit. We dismiss it a little bit. Man, that, that's, that's wrong of us and for us. We need to grab onto it and appreciate it, especially when it's a legacy of faith. Dr. Michael DeBacke, April 23rd, 2008, received a congressional gold medal for his legacy in heart surgery. See, he had transformed that uh, procedure. In fact, he was the one to successfully perform the first bypass operation, an operation my dad benefited from and extended his life. We all probably know somebody that's benefited from that procedure, but Dr. Tabaki was the first one to successfully perform it. In fact, uh, what's little known about him is that his mother actually taught him to sew as a child, and it was that knowledge, that ability to sew, (laughs) that he actually utilized to invent and develop some of the medical procedures that he came up with. He uh, came up with the idea of a graft that would replace a, uh, uh, a diseased aorta and arteries, and so he chose a new synthetic cloth at his time called Dacron. And he actually sewed a prototype of this, um, of this patch, if you will, using the skills that, his, that he had learned from his family. Listen, we've all got abilities and skills that we need to pass on, a legacy, right? And you have no idea how those that come after you are going to use those. But, but when we do it by faith and when we pass on the things that God's given us, will make an impact in future generations. We need to share the things that God's given us. I think passing on a love for this church and a commitment to its mission is vital. If you have a young family, if you're new here, don't just attend here. Discover the history of this church, the people that came before you. We benefit from a great ministry and a great, uh, just a wonderful place but there's people that sacrificed greatly to ensure that this was here. You need to know about that. You need to discover it. If you were here, if you've been here, tell those stories. Make sure that people understand where where we come from. In the Bible, there's a chapter that does this for us. It passes on this legacy to us. It's called Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is really important to me because it caused me some sleepless nights and a lot of anxiety. As in Bible college, my Hebrew professor the book of Hebrews is what he taught. The first day of class, he told us the final exam would be to memorize Hebrews chapter 11. Now, it's just 40 verses, no big deal. But, uh, but it, it caused me a great deal of nervousness and anxiety as I tried to memorize it. It wasn't working very well. I came up to the night before, and I had maybe a couple verses memorized. I thought, I'm going to bomb this class. But my new bride stayed up with me all night and wouldn't let me quit and said, you're going to memorize this, you can do it. And uh, somehow, by God's grace, I showed up the next morning and I wrote out Hebrews chapter 11. I think it's the only test I ever got 100 on. But uh, somehow I did it. Couldn't quote it for you now. But here's what it says, the beginnings of it. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You need to read Hebrews chapter 11. It's a legacy of faith. What I love about Hebrews 11 is the writer paints the stories of these individuals as being giants of faith. But if you read their stories in the Old Testament, they don't all seem like giants of faith. (laughs) Because we see the moments they struggled. We see the moments they almost stepped away. And the truth is we all have those moments. But Hebrews 11 confirms for us that they did finish. They walked by faith to the end. My prayer is that we as a church will pass on the legacy that's been handed to us. We'll grab a hold of it and we'll move it forward and over the next 10, 15, 20 years we will expand the mission that was begun here so many years ago. God, thank you for your goodness to us and for a legacy of faith. Thank you for... ensuring that it would be passed on to us. Thank you for those of us that are new that, that uh, got grafted in to the legacy of faith that has been built here. And I pray, Father, that you would assemble a team here of people that are passionately committed to extend this legacy, to extend this mission, that it would continue out to the generations to come and that the impact here that this ministry would have would even become greater. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.